everyone. You are listening to episode 283 of the Ad Percussion Podcast. My name is Ksenia Kumlenovic, and with me are my splendid co-hosts, Carly Vigna. Hey, Ksenia. How's it going? Hey, Carly. It's going well. How are you? Yeah, good, good, good. Good. And one of our favorite ringer buddies, Caleb Pickering. Caleb, welcome back. Hey, thank you. What's up? What What's new with you? You're just pumping out those YouTube videos and pieces like crazy. Do you sleep? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Full eight hours every night. That's a lie. We all know that's a lie. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. That's <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, Carly, you get to tell us what happened on our release date, yeah? Yeah, so release date, May 6th. If you're listening on release date, you can think about these things today. Um, I'll, I'll preface this with May 6th history is a little bit of a dud, but I do have some 80s and 90s nostalgia for those of you who like that sort of thing. Um, here's Here's one. Do you guys remember Hootie and the Blowfish? Yes. Yeah, kind kind of vaguely. They had like a song. Um, Mark Bryan, who is the lead guitarist for Hootie and the Blowfish, was born on May sixth, nineteen sixty seven. So there it is. Here we go. This one's this one's kind of interesting. In nineteen ninety three, you probably know Jerry Jerry Lee Lewis, who was like the you know famous for rock and roll classics like Great Balls of Fire. Um, in nineteen ninety three, on this day, May sixth, the IRS confiscated personal items from his home in Mississippi and auctioned it off to pay off part of his $1.6 million tax debt. Um, so here's your public service announcement. If you're in the U.S. and you haven't filed your taxes yet on May 6th, you better get on it because it's May 15th this year. File your taxes. And actually, I was digging into this and I saw um, Erica Badu, the singer, um, something like eight years ago, she was sentenced to three years in prison for tax evasion. So don't do that. Don't fall into this... Uh, apparently common musician thing of not paying your taxes. Um, so there's that, that was in 1993, fair warning. And if you're like me, it's May 6th and you haven't done your taxes yet, but don't put it off. Um, and here's here's the last thing I got for, for history today. In 1996, the Backstreet Boys released their self-titled debut album to international markets. And this is a direct quote from the source I was I was looking at, you know, one of these on this day websites, they were aiming to tap into Europe's fascination with boy bands. So Xenia, maybe you can tell us about that. Definitely, it resonated with us across the board there. We, we all went crazy. That's true. <laughs> so that's it. There's your May 6th history. I thought it was gonna be a dud for a second, but yeah, you really came out with a winner there at the end. Yeah. Yeah, phew, phew. <laughs> it works beautifully. There you go. Pay your taxes and celebrate Backstreet Boys today. All right, everyone. Our guest has forged his own career performing with one of the world's leading percussion ensembles, Morocco 2. The two have toured extensively throughout the United States and South America and Europe. Along with his duo partner, Jason Huxtable, he founded the World Percussion Group to provide an international platform for the next generation of percussion talent. He is now the artistic director in charge of the ensemble, and we are so excited to chat with him about it. Everybody welcome Tim Palmer to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for, for hosting me at this this hour as well. It's probably a bit early for you guys, but uh, it's uh, very kind. So thank you for having me. Of course, our pleasure. We've been trying to track you down for, for years now. We're happy you finally <laughs> got the time to chat with us. Um, tell us how you've been doing these days and what have you been up to? Well, uh, today I've actually been classic British. As you can see, it's the first day of sunshine for a year in England. So I've got lobster face today. So <laughs> you, 
and probably uh, might need to neutralize some of the imaging. But um, so it's been a good day today. But uh, over the past sort of, you know, last since Christmas, really, just been starting to ramp up my teaching again. Um, England over the last sort of several weeks now are beginning to come out of full lockdown. So uh, things are beginning to come back to normal, which is great because I get to see my students in real life and find out what they've been up to and share a bit of real music together. So that's uh, a really, um, you know, it's a great opportunity for me to, to catch up with them, really. So, yeah, it's been brilliant. That's awesome. And we heard that the UK is doing splendidly with the vaccination and everything. And uh, we heard that Boris Johnson went for that beer in a pub, which is a big deal. So we're <laughs> good. Good for yeah, you. Hopefully, hopefully things are moving in, in the right direction. I think by next next month, we'll be able to sort of like have groups of like 30 outside and you can go start going in houses and stuff like that. So hopefully... Um, Things are on on the up, and the vaccines are going okay. I think most sort of uh, sort of sixties upwards are, are sort of going through their second second rounds. So uh, yeah, all is all is looking well so far. So that's awesome. Well, besides um, all your in person activities that are resuming, you have the World Percussion Group going online this year. Can you tell us a little bit about that? What's up? Yeah, absolutely. So for people that don't know about the, the WPG and, and the project itself, uh, it was initially inspired by myself and Jason, the other half of Maraca 2, back in 2015. Um, we visited loads of uh, particularly US universities over our, our sort of, at that point, um, seven years of our career. And we found that, you know, there was this common theme running along all of the universities that a lot of students obviously wanted to go into the music industry, maybe performing or maybe teaching. But, you know, it was quite clear that when we asked the question about sort of the structure and the strategy, how they were going to bridge the gap between education and, and the real world, if you like, that it, it was quite a difficult, you know, question to answer. Um, and I think particularly now, like everything's really competitive as it, as it ever has been. And the, the sort of ethos of the group is to sort of help young up-and-coming musicians try and get some real-life experience um, like delivering uh, lessons, masterclasses and performing um, and also touring and, and getting to network with musicians from loads of different countries. So we uh, collect a pool of artists on an online audition basis because um, then you, you know all about it because you've been part of the project. Um, and then we, we tour into different conservatoires and, and deliver those sort of online percussion festivals, really, both giving the artists experience, but also giving the hosts um, something as well um, to sort of embrace. And it's interesting for them to see all artists come together from loads of different places and have quite an intensive training course, um, usually three or four days where we, we put together a, a set everyone gets their lectures ready and their clinics ready and then we we, we go on the road so um, we've traveled all over the US uh, I think the, the first tour we did we traveled 10,000 miles in a tour bus so that was quite uh, excruciating for those that were in the first tour they will tell you uh, it's a lot of road miles on that one um, and then over the years of sort of the duo we've we've got sort of involved more with the, the cruise companies uh, in in the UK um, sort of performing and that's how the sort of latest transition uh, happened. And we, we then started to use that as a mode of transport to go around the Baltics and the Mediterranean, uh, which is great because in the evenings you get the opportunity to, um, you know, 
re unwind, relax and, and sort of formulate ideas with with other musicians and things like that. So it's, it's a perfect opportunity rather than being on the on the tour bus, which is a little different. Um, but yeah, really, the, the, the main difference this year, I suppose, with everyone is, um, you know, how do I create this experience uh, when there's so many restrictions right now? So you're quite right. We've decided to, to move move the project online. And uh, if anyone's interested, shameless plug, but do go to the website. It's uh, worldpercussiongroup.com. This year, I'm hoping rather than going to the world, I'm, I'm bringing um, a load of coaches, uh, too many to mention really, but please do go on the website and hopefully you'll, you'll find the, the coach list quite impressive. And they're gonna be uh, coming online and, and teaching all of the artists from the different countries to uh, do all of the above, which I've already mentioned. So yeah, it's very exciting. I'm still learning as well, like the live stream thing and the, the conference thing, so. Yeah, it looks really great. Before you said it, I was going to say that you have an amazing lineup of coaches. People should go check it out. It is kind of too many to name, but wonderful, wonderful people. Um, we do have a social media question, Tim. Um, yeah. Green Plays Drums asks, while we're talking about WPG, what is your favorite part of World Percussion Group? Oh, what's my favorite part? Well, I like the fact that I spend so much time over a period of time with these artists who don't know each other most mostly sometimes they do but generally they're all from different backgrounds different cultures and i like when they come in on day one usually they're quite nervous on day one they don't really know what to expect which is quite understandable um and i, I like to see the progression over the over the sort of two or three weeks of like how confident that the artists get and and almost like a, a little family together of um of ideas and, and you find there's different pockets of musicians um you know that that create from that and some go on to do other collaborations as well so i sort of like to see the the journey in real time really of, of from from day one to to the end so i think that's the most rewarding part of wpg for me and tell us what have you uh, learned how has wpg evolved since its inception besides that a cruise ship is better than a tour bus mm. great question well constantly sort of looking for for ideas from from all of the artists and getting feedback and generally most of it's quite positive um, there's there's not been much that we've had had to tailor um, obviously the travel aspect is is quite strenuous at times particularly as i said from the outset so that is something that we have changed i think one of the things we've started to evolve in is start to listen to uh, the artists a little bit more in terms of what music they want to to sort of portray and, and showcase um i think the first tour was pretty much like this is this is how it's going to be but over time I, I start to realize that I'm, I'm a little out of touch sometimes with like the, the, the new material and, and the new composers coming through. So I think uh, that's definitely a way that, you know, I can listen more to the artists and definitely sort of the trajectory that I want to go down. Um, and also uh, commissioning new music, you'll see on the, on the agenda on the website, like there's two brand new commissions, which we haven't done with, um, with WPG yet. So that's sort of a, a, a new sort of expansion and, and giving, not only artists an opportunity, but composers an opportunity now as well. So that's uh, sort of a, you know, something that's taken a bit of time and that sort of just happened really over, over time. It's definitely a, a thing that I think um, will, will benefit everyone really. So. Absolutely. And that's uh, something that 
Caleb can maybe tell us a little bit about yeah, his experience of, of having his music played. Uh, and uh, maybe he can also tell us about how he and I met online to talk about his piece for the first time and how he just uh, tore oh, me into one. I yeah. Know that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we well, uh, I guess it was 2019, Ksenia and I did WPG. Uh, and I wrote this quartet. And my understanding was, oh, Swirl Percussion Group, it must be all the best players. So there's no restrictions on what you can write. There's no rules anymore. Nikasinia sends me a message like, hey, can we have a phone call to talk about some of these parts? And my opening line is, hey, you're in this group. I thought you were supposed to be good. I thought you were supposed to be able to play, play a bunch of stuff. Oh, wow. <laughs> that was the best possible. And I remember that I got the music and I started learning it. And at first I was like, this person's not a percussionist. I, they, they don't know what they're doing. Then I look up Caleb and I'm like, okay, Caleb is like the percussionist. So I called him and I was like, man, I, I know, but this is your, like you're like Theo Milkov in a way. This is your technique. I'm not sure that a mortal can just do this in you know three weeks notice. And literally his response was, well, I was told you were good. <laughs> And ironically uh caleb ended up being in that group as well yeah yeah i kind of kind of <laughs> fell on my own sword i had to play for for a few weeks that piece um so kind of screwed myself on that one yeah. I, I had a question purely uh just after being in it and seeing like everything that goes into it and now this one is um or this this come around the online is there's zero tour free uh tour fees yeah um could you just speak a little bit to how you go about like i know there's all sorts of summer programs where you're there for one or two weeks and you know we will strike a deal with the dorms here and we'll put students up for a low cost and things like that but could you speak a little to just how you go about creating that big of a you know a tremendous experience both on you know, geographically and a pretty financially large investment. Um. Yeah, it's, it's many different factors come into play. Um, if I'm being absolutely honest, like risk is probably like lighting up like a Christmas tree because you're, you're right, there are there is a financial implication. Um, but I've I've spent quite a long time, you know, five or six years building up the the brand and what what I didn't want to do is cancel another tour and and have a situation where people you know start to forget the project which is a shame to keep running but also for a shame to everyone that's been involved in, in the past so I was quite keen on doing that so um honestly I'm I'm self-funding quite a lot of it myself um the sponsors are uh, putting up um some finances as well um and there is a like a modest application fee but I'm, I'm sort of really treating this as a, a hiatus really between like the time that we do it next time in full and a bit of a, a promotional push really just to raise awareness of the group. Um, and also I've made a lot of uh, pleading phone calls to the coaches who are quite a lot of my friends and just said, can you help me out? So, which they have mostly done. So um, with all those factors into place, it's, it's, it's become manageable. But uh, yeah, it, it is it is quite risky. Um, but uh, I've got uh, you know things in place which will which will help with that. And I may well I haven't decided yet, but I may well sort of start a, a further tour before this one to sort of promote that one as well. So 
um, yeah, many ifs and buts right now, but it's a great question. And you're right, there are a lot of uh, a lot of online things happening right now. It seems to be the way of the world and funding is always an issue. Um, and I think the difficult thing, like in the past, like for, for real events, you know, calling on sponsors to support those type of things has been, you know, quite a good way, but it's, it's quite difficult and understandably for for companies to sort of realize their budget into something which is on a screen because in essence they could do that themselves with with brand awareness so it's it's uh it's a difficult juggling act but if you know if you strategize it correctly i think i think it can work so yeah great you know beyond even like the financial concerns of designing and running a festival and a tour and all these things mm. um i'm sure there's just a ton of administrative work on your end to make this amazing thing happen year after year in in different forms of course have you have you kind of always been minded towards administration is this something you enjoy or how 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 has that worked into your life as a musician yeah, it's a great question. I, I, I do enjoy like the sort of arts ad, admin side of it. I even from like the early duo days, I sort of took the role of of trying to get sort of engagements. And there is a bit of a, a buzz about sort of for me about sort of planning a tour and um, and putting something on. So that's absolutely something at the heart, because I, I think if I didn't get that, I would I would find it quite hard to, you know, put uh, that experience on, although it obviously is about the artists, it, it for me is sort of self gratification in in that respect. That I I can have something at the end to say I've, you know, I've I've organised this event, and um, yeah, it's definitely something that uh, that I enjoy doing, and um, it does take a lot of time. You're right, and uh, I know I noticed that I got a question later about uh, sort of time management and family, but um, my wife is very understandable and uh really supports what i do which is um fantastic and she's a musician as well so so she understands sort of how things work and um without her i wouldn't be able to do that either so yeah um i what i appreciated about the experience was not only that i got to meet really so many wonderful people and you do a great job of curating the group to be really diverse and, and so mm -hmm. interesting in so many ways but it was also the opportunity to sit with uh, you and jason and pick your brains about how do you start this just what you know caleb and carly just said is um you do run run something very unique and for most of us who are performers we have no idea how to organize such a thing like you were able to ask and get a sponsorship from a cruise company i don't know how i would even begin to to like how could i say hey i could offer something to you and you can offer something back and let's do this exchange. Mm -hmm. Now, could you give us a little tip and trick because I feel like musicians really need to learn that. Mm -hmm. How do you phrase your asks? Is it, are there personal friendships? How do you approach these big folks, big companies to ask yeah. for support? Well, there's no tips and tricks. That's, that's the first, first thing. Um, I think for me, like diversification in like so many mediums, it's really good because the more you do, the more connections you get, the more, you know, doors open and the more um, you, you can sort of facilitate that. And and you're absolutely right. I, I'm a massive advocate and fan of sort of mutual benefit in terms of trying to make things um, work for both yourself and, and for other people. Um, 
the, the cruise thing uh, literally came, it actually came from our university originally because um, the, uh, how did this happen? So Jason did a percussion prize um, for the university and the adjudicator was an agent uh, that lives in Stratford-upon-Avon, um, William Shakespeare, if anyone's listening, but uh, that's where she lives. And she's responsible for running a music festival at sea on piano cruises. So they get like opera singers, pianists, violinists, and sometimes the novelty act that was us like to, to, to go on um, and showcase sort of lots of different events, lots of different concerts, sometimes collaborations, that type of thing. Um, and through that, we uh, we were asked to, it's quite lucky really, um, the, the chairman of P&O came on board and had uh, two sons with him and really enjoyed our concert and came to speak to us at the end and said, would you mind giving a lesson to, to our two sons? So that's uh, that's what we did. And we sort of, you know, got to got to know him and got to chat a little bit. And um, the next morning, actually, we, we had a, a, a very fine bottle of champagne delivered to our cabin by a butler. So it was it was quite, yeah, it was quite epic. Um, and from then sort of just got talking really about he's a really real um supporter of music as well and particularly like giving opportunities to, to young musicians so that's sort of how that came around and i i wrote the email just saying you know we've we've got this cruise um i would really like to take the artists to uh copenhagen and the baltic capitals uh, we've got all the universities lined up but the fee is 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 quite a lot for the cruise when you balance off so it's, it's all the balance and that really the fees for the artists and the fees to travel um is there any way you could sort of you know leverage some of the price in return for a, a mass booking number one um and possibly we can sort of do some promotional stuff for you do some videos and we'll you know showcase your um your your product if you like if the cruise ship has been a, a viable transport and I think it was Cameron that said originally, like, this is an absolutely crazy idea. Like, I don't really know what I've signed up for, but I'm going to do it anyway. And he was the one that came back and said, actually, that, that works really, really well. Um, and it is quite a crazy idea, really, because, you know, it's it's not it's not known for sort of the transport aspect. It, it's but in essence, it's a ferry, isn't it really just glorified that really comfortable one <laughs> we're not sponsored by pno anymore so that's fine that's all good so um but yeah it's it's a great opportunity for everyone they they got a little bit of exposure and, and they got to say that they supported like young musicians from globe you know all around the world so everyone's a winner in that respect um but i think that's my my biggest you know my biggest advice is network with lots of different pockets lots of different mediums and and try and seek benefit mutual benefit for for both both parties um because you know everyone's struggling for money if if you ask someone for money then it's going to be quite difficult but if you offer something else which maybe has a knock-on effect somehow um then you know it's uh, it's much more preferable i think awesome caleb you had a question yeah, this one was from our buddy, Will Brown. Um, uh, he was asking essentially, and this has come up in several podcast episodes, but how do you go about balancing this plus also the family life? That's it. Yeah, it's quite difficult, especially when, when you have a family, like I'm sure people listening will 
will have heard this, but it is true. Like when you start to have children, things do uh, do change. Um, but as I said, sort of touched on earlier, like I think for me, like having a family that which is already immersed in in music, they they understand and they support um, is important and. Carly is quite often my receptionist. Sometimes she will she will say that. For example, she was the one that told me about William's question earlier. So uh, otherwise, I wouldn't have known that that was coming. But um, so having that sort of open, supportive relationship, I think, is is quite important. And and we started sort of like seeing each other like very early on. So as our career has evolved, she's she's been with with that whole that whole process as well. So so she's great. She understands. Um, but I think, you know, in terms of like the grand scheme of things, like the, the nine to five in any medium doesn't, doesn't really exist anymore. And, um, although music is unsociable hours, sometimes, you know, my wife's a, a teacher, sometimes she'll, she'll come home and she'll say, well, I've got like X amount of plans to do for tomorrow and like this marking and that that's absolutely fine. That's, that's you know, that's what she wants to do. And I will mutually support her in, in that respect. So I think it's just being open about, you know, where you want to take your career, how much time that's going to take. And, um, and that will alleviate any sort of stress like going forward, because hopefully you've had that discussion early on and people are aware. Um, I don't know, what, what do you think, Caleb? I didn't know we were going to go into a therapy session. This is, this is great. Yeah, I quite often do therapy sessions. Yeah. No, it's good. Um, no, I think you're, I think you're totally right. And I think Casey's brought this up before several times when he's said, you know, people ask, yeah, he's like, you know, oh, you, if you're teaching, playing, writing, you have a kid, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, you just, you make it work. Um, you know, if you pull a little from one area, you push a little in another and yeah, you, you just, you just balance. Yeah. Teamwork is the, is the, is the key. You know, I'll second Tim, what you were saying. My husband is a bassoonist and sometimes people ask like, how do you guys manage your schedule and like in normal freelance season and everything like it's, pretty insane. And I think the only way we, we manage is we understand because we're doing the same thing as each other. Um, some people who, you know, marry or, or have partners who are non-musicians, normal people, um, you know, say like, that's, that's the key. But I, like, I can't imagine even explaining like why I have to do this recording now or, you know, whatever, whatever thing. So I think that's a, that's a big thing. I, I experienced that too. Um, and you know, like like Caleb said, like just the the you do you juggle what's important. You can't say yes to everything. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you have to be like you were saying, Tim, like focused on your goal and do things that help you work towards your goal and not get caught up with I'm doing this for this person and this for this group and this for this, and then you don't have enough resources for your personal life or your personal projects musically. But yeah, absolutely. And I think like particularly though over the last 12 months, like the the thing about like video calls and stuff like that, like it's been a few times when I've been away over the last year or so and I, I've read a bedtime story with FaceTime or whatever. Do you know what I mean? So I'm still, I'm not there, but she's she's sort of used to that now. My daughter's three, by the way, for anyone who doesn't know, but she's, she's used to 
for example, today we've been to grandparents we've not seen for six months, but because they've, they've, you know, chatted most days, it's, it's like they saw each other yesterday. So things, things have changed like that. And, you know, you, you could argue that we're in a, a medium, which is relatively flexible when you compare it to like the army or something like that, you know, that would be polar, like six months away. And so, um, but yeah, I, I'm very lucky. And um, I think understanding is the, the biggest, the biggest thing for sure. Yeah, my girlfriend has an undergrad in music, but now she's trying to become, a, or she's working on becoming an economist. Oh, wow. Okay. So, she, so she gets the music thing, but she's lined up for a career that makes six figures. So I'm really hoping, you know, hoping maybe that works out. So um, <laughs> like, a, like, a, you know, maybe, maybe I can just, you know, write music and play video games all day and then uh, something like that. Just kidding. But um, yeah. Be a stay at home composer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stay at home composer. Wait, Does she listen to the podcast? Uh, she's listened to a few episodes, but not regularly. I'm probably in trouble either way. way. You could be like delving through your finances and tell you where you're going wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like, hey, you've bought way too many coffees this week. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, sixty percent of your income is going to is going to local coffee shops. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. There you go, folks. This is this is a therapy session and a mentorship session and all of that in one. It's a little bit of history as well. Um, but speaking of history, Tim, will you tell us how you got together with uh, Jason and what is the magic potion that keeps the two of you working so well together? Yeah, well, I think the, the, the most important thing is we're best friends. Like we were both best men at each other's weddings. Um, and we, we turned up in Birmingham. We both studied at the Birmingham Conservatoire. Um, and there were only two of us in our year, which was quite strange. I mean, usually they'd take an intake of sort of four, five or six, but there were only two. Um, and the very first person like I remember going to the, the first meeting with all the first year. So there must have been sort of 150 people there from bassoonists or, you know, that everyone, all the musicians in the first year. And I remember the complete chance, um, one in 150, the, the first person I sat next to was Jason, which was quite weird. Um, bearing in mind there were only two of us was even stranger, but, um, you know, we, we had similar interests in music. Um, we had similar like friend circles and it was quite apparent that we were on the same journey and trajectory together. And our, our teachers were really supportive. We had a great cohort of teachers. We had seven different teachers on, on all the different disciplines and, and they were quite keen on sort of fostering our relationship musically and, and giving us like some duos together and give, give us even some like suggestions of music to listen to and things like that. And it was from then that it was quite clear that we had similar interests in pretty much everything, really music, beer, like that, you know, the full package. So from then we just used that time really to develop um, all of the, the repertoire. Um, I think it's also quite important to mention, which I have done on quite a lot of clinics I've been doing is that we didn't start off with a full artillery of percussion equipment. Like I, I started with a, a snare drum and uh, Jason had a djembe and that, that was it. Like our first engagements was marching through a, a Halloween parade at, at, at a graveyard somewhere. Uh, first yeah. gig at a graveyard. <laughs> nice. yeah, yeah. Pretty much. Wow. Like first external gig, yeah. 
And then we did all sorts of like random things like the university would send us out to do like a um, a red carpet event at Armani's opening spring collection in the shop where we just have like some drums, which we'd probably like steal from the university. So too much. And then, uh, you know, um, just play a load of drums and, and, and that was pretty much it really. Um, and it was at that point that we thought, you know, clearly we've got a barrier here. Like we, we can't, you know, do Halloween parades for the rest of our lives. So I decided to take the risk again. Um, so maybe I am a bit of a gambler because I've used that word before, but I took the risk and bought a, a marimba. Um, and from then, like we started to get a few more serious engagements and uh, the university, again, were really supportive, like helping us get those engagements as well. And then we got a bit of revenue and started sort of accruing some instruments. And then again, like you asked the question, what's the secret thing? But quite often it's luck. Like I, I um, was uh, accompanying a dance class, a contemporary dance class. I'd have congos, bongos and a few things. And um, the teacher there said, oh, like, would you be interested in a collaboration, like writing some music? So I said, well, I don't really write music, but we can try and like play along. She said, well, it's for the opening ceremony of the European Indoor Athletics Championships. Like, okay. So it's quite serious. So we, we teamed up with like a, a music producer who was a bit more experienced and had been in the charts and stuff in Birmingham. And um, we wrote like a 12 minute um, opening ceremony, which had like flag um, flags. There were some like roller skaters, some ballet dancers. And we, we basically wrote to every single company we could because it was on Eurosport to like 12 million people and said like, this, this is a great showcase for you. And fortunately, like a lot of the companies bought into it and sent us like, you know, some examples and some promo stuff. And we basically used everything. And it was from then that we still started to get those connections. But had I not have been doing that teaching session, then I wouldn't have, you know, arguably, I wouldn't be sat here, you know, who, who knows? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really incredible. And I think that's really um, humble of you to say, because, yes, I mean, all you can do is is do your own hard work and do your own homework. But there really is an element of, of luck in all of our lives that we're at the right place at the right time. And I think in my life, uh, I got to meet you and, and Caleb on the same day. But you were the person, I believe, who recommended me for Marimba mm -hmm. One which is such a huge step in my career. And again, it's that was that was my fortune to have met you and that you yeah. did that for me. Um, so well, that's because you, you put yourself out there to, 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 to engage in those different networks, which is exactly what I was, I was sort of referring to earlier, you know, by, by doing that. At some point, I think you have to come to the realization that the practice is done to a certain degree. Obviously, we're all learning, we're all practicing, but I've got my core skills and now it's time to spend that energy on other areas to sort of facilitate showcasing that. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we went from the graveyard to Dudamel, right? What a, what a trajectory. Can you tell yeah. us about working with Pereira and Dudamel? Cause that's, I mean, oh, yeah. any other percussion yeah, on that it's quite a, an amazing experience really. Um, like working with Joe, uh, he he was really keen on on work. I'll, I'll tell you how the commission came around. Really, we we um, we'd 
done a lot of performances across the US at universities and colleges and we'd performed at PASIC, we'd we'd done like the WPG thing and it was really like how do we continue to evolve what what we offer um and it was quite apparent that you know number one there aren't a lot of duos like duets written for like the concerto medium and number two it's really hard to get into that sort of medium it's almost like there's there's sort of two poles of of and it's quite difficult to to bridge that gap of be, becoming a concerto soloist as opposed to a recitalist. So, um, I I wrote to to well we did a little bit of research on sort of composers which had had um, written for orchestras, um, and and I came across Joe and I really liked his music and I I knew Colin had worked Colin Curry had worked with him before, um, and I wrote to him just saying you know this is who we are um, we've done these these events and we really want to sort of try and take it to a, a different route and expand like the medium really of like duo concertos that hopefully like, other people can perform too. Um, and he, he wrote a really nice email back, very humble and said, that's great. I, I really like um, what you're trying to do. I, I love your style and I love your music and let's, uh, let's propose it to the management. So he was actually the one that proposed it to, to Dudamel um, and the staff at LA um and uh and wrote back within quite quickly actually within sort of a week and said we really want to go ahead and, and do this so um so yeah it was uh quite quite an experience yeah yeah it's, it's amazing i mean obviously from that point it was like wow this is like great and then it took quite a few years to sort of as as you can imagine it's a massive scale project um to develop and and joe uh, had had a lot of challenges sort of like bringing all of the ideas together because obviously he was playing as a solo timpanist as well as us two so loads of different things loads of equipment um loads of logistical aspects but um yeah it was an amazing experience to work with with him and the percussionist and the orchestra and everything about that experience I'll, I will look back very humbly and and thank joe for the opportunity really because i'll remember that for forever so yeah that's incredible how that goes from a, an email to a week later, like, yeah, we have a gig with Dudamel. I mean, I don't know, that happens to you, Joang, probably, and then, you know, to you. Yeah. But I think if I'd have written direct to LA Phil, I don't think I would have got a reply. Um, so, you know, by by com communicating with, with Joe, it's, I don't want to sound like we used Joe because it wasn't like that, but it was definitely something which he wanted to do and and we really wanted it to happen and and he was the best place to to propose that so i think you know it, it, it's stronger when it comes from a point of reference you know yeah yeah sure. of course so what was that experience like you i mean you've played before i know you had a concert in my hometown of belgrade with our radio did, symphony yeah. orchestra um and th this was not your first gig like that but i mean just going straight to the mail that's that's how do you how do you go well, actually, no, <laughs> in belgrade we didn't do a concerto we just did a recital we were supposed to do a concerto but yeah no we, it was part it was it was billed as a concerto, but it wasn't. We we did like a recital in the end. Um, okay, okay. That so was that, that, the year that I wasn't there, so I just heard about the concert. I wasn't able to be there. I, I wanted to. Yeah, no, that's okay. It's okay. Um, and then, 
we had another concerto which was supposed to be on the first WPG tour in Iowa, but I got injured, so I, I didn't do that. I had a depth. Garrett Mendelow covered for me. Thank you, Garrett. Oh, uh, nice. So he'll probably like this. But um, so he uh, he covered a concerto there. So actually, this was our first concerto together, like with LA. Um, but as I said, amazing experience and to get to know Gustavo. The one story I have with Gustavo was um, in this was the first orchestral rehearsal if you watch there's a video on youtube actually of like behind the scenes but our, our setups are quite tight and you have to like sort of walk between them and i walked around the front of his uh, music stand obviously he's like doing his thing and i i knocked the music stand and i realized that he had his rolex like on the music stand which was like wobbling like this bearing in mind he'd almost written his aston martin off on the same day um so yeah i remember that and i was thinking and then he looked at me like it's okay fine so then i so that's one of my uh sort of non-musical memories of that was sort of <laughs> oh goes, no there goes my fee plus 10 years yeah oh no <laughs> um but yeah i mean as i say really great orchestra to work with so welcoming and um you know all of the, the rehearsals were really lighthearted. Gustavo was great. He invited us to his birthday party back, backstage afterwards because one of the performances, we did four performances. We did three uh, at Disney and then one in Santa Barbara as well. Um, so we had a bit of birthday cake, a bit of champagne. He's quite partial to whiskey as well. So we had some whiskey, but yeah, amazing experience. And as I say, thanks to Joe, because we wouldn't, wouldn't, again, wouldn't have done that without him. So. Very nice. You know, thinking about thinking about like the way that you reached out to Joe and that helped you have this amazing opportunity. I've been thinking a lot about like the non-musical skills that our students need that, you know, the, the next generation of professionals need and networking is so important, you know, and, and not in a, I don't know, like bland kind of businessy way, but like if as you said, if you reach out to the LA Phil and say, hey, I'd really like to do a concerto, they'd be like, great, get in line with thousands of other <laughs> musicians that would like to do a concerto, right? But because it came from Joe Pereira, then they're like, oh, like, yeah, like, let's look into this. Let's talk about this and let's think about it. Um, and that's the kind of networking that that helps you get recommendations. Of course, so much is mm -hmm. word of mouth. And, and if somebody else is recommending you for really no personal gain, but just because like for the sake of the art, that's so much stronger than you saying, I'm awesome, you should hire me to play. Right. Um, so I don't know, do you have any thoughts? What what non-musical skills do our students need? Yeah, well, to, to sort of go back to what you're saying, absolutely, like the, the recommendation thing was good, but I think that's why agents exist. Like, because they have those relationships with the different promoters and the different orchestras and the orchestras, there there is a certain element of trust there that like, okay, it's, it's, it's going to be a great product rather than sort of, you know, going in without, and obviously we're, we're not agent led, we're, we're, we're ourselves, but, um, yeah, another great question. Um, and we've, I've been doing a lot of sort of, uh, American clinic type things on, on career development over the past few months. Um, and I think the, the, the biggest thing really is to not, not be sort of shy about thinking of of where you see yourself in sort of five, 10 years time. Because I've asked the question, I remember being the one being asked, like, what, you know, what, what do you want to do? And it's like, Oh, I don't really know, I might, I might, you know, I might just 
see what happens in Birmingham, do some like orchestral gigs and stuff like that. And it's like, well, great, but what about you, you have, and it doesn't have to be one strategy, but what about if you have like a, a plan of, and a trajectory of where you see yourself, um, you know, in, in that period of time and, you know, analyze what, what are the challenges that are going to sort of prevent you from, from getting to your, your destination and maybe what qualities you need to, to sort of put yourself and enhance yourself as best you can to be employable. Um, so that's what we've, what I've been doing with these clinics is literally sitting down with the students and, and brainstorming, like with a few of them, like where they want to go and, and, and all those different parameters, they're going to stop them from doing that and how they can best, you know, get over those hurdles. So I think, I think, um, for me, it, it would be to, to really sit down and think about that where you see yourself and, and have a strategy in place and don't be shy. Like if you want to be a soloist, great. Like let's, let's see how you can best put yourself in that position. Cause if everyone had that, that feeling about, or oh, I want to be a soloist, but then no one would be a soloist. So, so yeah, I think that's, that's the biggest, the biggest thing for me is, is planning. Having a strategy, like not yeah, being afraid so. to, to dream big, have a goal, and then think about how am I going to get there? What's in yeah. the way? We, yeah. we have a level of like realism as well. I think like there is a, there is a equilibrium. You've got to think like, you know, if someone has said to me, you know, if I had said 20 years ago, oh yeah, in 20 years, I see myself doing a concerto with LA Phil, I'd be like, okay, well, maybe let's focus on some of the things before that which might lead on to, to something that big. Um, but I think there is a level of realism that you need to, to think of as well. Um, having many ideas is great too, but having too many ideas can be counterproductive as well. So it's sort of like streamlining the ones that you think, a bit like investing really, like if you're going to invest in companies, you don't like invest in a hundred, you, you do your diligence and your research, you think, right, these, these are the five and that they're the ones I'm going to put my eggs in and see what happens. So. Yeah. Thanks. This is fantastic advice. Um, Carly, will you take us to our topic? Let's yeah, let's go to the topic. So today we're going to be talking a little bit about um, movement and how it affects especially the perception of musicality and what does it mean to move musically. So um, several weeks ago, might have even been a month or two ago, um, our friend Noah Kagiyama of the Bulletproof Musician had a podcast episode titled Do a Musician's Physical Movements and Gestures Affect How Musical We Think They Are? So I thought this is really interesting. We think about this a lot in the percussion world, how we move when we play, because what we do is so physically, uh, so, so physical. And so in 2008, he talks about there's a study of 112 undergraduate and graduate music majors from six different universities. So, you know, trained musicians and or musicians in training, people with trained ears. And they are asked to watch three videos 
of the opening of Chopin's Etude in E Major, Opus 10, number three. They are told that the pianist in the video, it's all the same pianist, is going to enter a competition and wants some advice on which of the recordings is the most musical. Video recording, right? So the catch is that all three videos have the same audio because this pianist was actually filmed while playing along with Vladimir Ashkenazi's performance of the piece. So um, they all sound the same, right? The three, three different videos, the first one, um, the pianist has no body movement at all, nothing other than what's absolutely required required to play the piece, right? Physically moving the fingers and the, the wrists and arms. Um, the second video, again, sounds the same because it's the same audio, but the pianist is allowed to have head and facial movement in addition to, you know, moving the fingers. And then in the third video, there's full body movement and whatever the pianist wants to do to physically express what, what's happening, what he wants the, the character and feel to be. Um, so then the reviewers are asked to rate the pianist in categories like phrasing, dynamics, rubato, and overall musicality. So I think here on, on our team, we probably all listened to this, but um, and what, what do we think the results were? I mean, obvious. Everybody said that the person moving the most was most musical. It's so obvious. Even I had um, I had my high school students and, and college students at New World School of the Arts listen to this too and was like, what do you think? And, and like, we all know, right, um, that the video with full body movement received the highest scores for all of these categories of phrasing, dynamics, rubato, and overall mu musicality. It surprised me a little bit that rubato got higher scores with full body movement. You know, like that's, it's just interesting. But I guess we we feel it more. We're we're perceiving it, we're sensing it more. Um, so it seems like if we're not already, we should all be really aware of how we're moving, what we look like when we perform. And it led me to go down this rabbit hole of, of thinking about what does it even mean to move uh, musically. So I know that dancers think about moving musically and talk about moving musically. So I did a little Google search and I came across an article that's titled Musicality Matters how to become a more musical dancer. Um, it, this was published in 2010 on Dance Spirit Magazine's website. Um, and I, I think the first thing to think about is what is musicality in dance? Like I think music is an aural experience, right? Like primarily we're, we're focused on the sound. So what does it even mean to be musical with movement and as a dancer that's not creating any sound. Um, and there's a quote in this article from Wade Robson, who's a choreographer and a regular on So You Think You Can Dance, the TV show. And he says that musicality is understanding music on a technical level and then dropping all of that knowledge so you can sit deep inside the music which is not um, really the most descriptive or technical way of thinking about it. But then he does go on to say, it's dancing inside the music as opposed to floating on top of it, which I, I think kind of, you know, means like you're really involved in the music rather than like doing this choreographed routine to the music separately. Um, what, what I think of and what I discuss with students when we talk about movement is that we wanna be 100% physically involved in the music as much as possible. Just, I mean, physically and emotionally and you know, in, in every way, try to physically represent the sound and the character that we want in a way that's natural to you know, our bodies and the way that our human bodies 
move and, and feel. So the, the article goes on a little bit to talk about phrasing and developing your ear through musical training. This is aimed mostly at, you know, dancers that might not have a musical background and counting, you know, how they're experiencing rhythm. But I wonder what, what you all think about this and how can we as musicians move in the most musical way and how even how important is it? I'll let the boys answer. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's important. You know, it's it's like um, if you've ever seen opera folks uh, on stage, it looks their makeup looks really good. Then you see them off stage, and what's supposed to be like a small wound is like a gaping like spear has gone through them when you see them up close. But it's just so when they're farther away, it's exaggerated. I mean, I think it's the same thing with movement. You know, we have, we have we had an absurd amount of undergrad recitals this semester. I feel like all of the last couple of lessons, the topics that kept coming up were, what are you doing between this spot and this spot? And they would, a lot of them would do the thing where they play the lick. Okay, now I'm going to walk over, play, okay, play the next part of the board. And it's just like, wait, wait, wait. That's really, really, that's a lot of visual noise you got going on. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it totally matters. You know, if you see somebody play really well and then they do something that's really out of the character, it just it kind of breaks the mood. It reminds me of there's a, it's one of the Terminator movies where it has a really cool opening and then somebody gets off a motorcycle and steps down and you see like a brand label for like Harley Davidson, like right in the middle of this and it totally breaks it's like everything that was cool just then is now negated because you've shoved like something out of character into into the scene. And it's like the, the mood's broken, like I'm not in the moment anymore. Um, and I think it's the same with playing as well. I wasn't sure where you were going with the Terminator reference, but I get it. I get it. Caleb, you don't understand that's necessary to be there because they sponsor that movie. That movie would not have happened without Harley Davidson. So. That's true. The ad percussion brought to you by UNO cruise lines <laughs> or road microphones <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh, blue yet <yeah. laughs> um, no, but tim yeah. i'm curious to to know what you think because you yeah you, you have a very specific approach and you're always trying to reach more people and and a broader audience and you understand that this part of appeal plays a big role yeah i think visuals is 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 very important like if you if you, I don't know, if, if you looked at a percussionist on, on YouTube and you, you, you know, you turn down the volume, let's say you can't hear anything. You know, if you've got a, a relatively accomplished musician, I'm, I'm pretty sure you could have a good stab of sort of the, the general musical message and the character that they're, they're trying to portray. So even before like audio has, has had the chance to, to sort of, you know, immerse the listener, you've got a perception there already so uh, me personally I, I think it's quite important um and i always like teach my students even when they're not performing like that they're still in character sometimes because <clears throat> quite often you see particularly when i've done like these master classes that the students will stand in front of the marimba and they're sort of you know getting prepared and i'm automatically thinking oh okay like this is going to be like quite forceful and then they go into like a little chorale and it and that message is is completely like opposite from what it should be because but it's because they're nervous they're thinking like right okay 
but it, it's amazing what what the eye sees and what the perception of that is through the music um so i, I think personally for me it's it's in, incredibly important same for actors um and i think also what's made it even more uh, clear is like that the recent like mask thing is is quite hard to to determine like people's emotions and their their characters like and their thoughts because that's a massive barrier so for me like expression facial or body movement is uh, is a massive part particularly as percussionists because we are moving so much anyway as a natural progression of like the instrument so um yeah, uh, in essence, yeah, very important. But I, I think we're probably all probably going to agree with that. But yeah, yeah, Tim, I like that you mentioned the facial expression. I actually I, I got a chance to perform aphasia recently, and I had to do it with a mask. And at first, I was like, you know, am I going to buy one of those clear masks? You know, because mm. the facial, what you're doing with your entire body, that's a completely visual piece, um, would matter. And then I thought, well, you're supposed to maintain a, a you know neutral facial expression anyway like maybe the mask is okay but it was just a yeah. interesting thing to think about and even i mean the the rest of the repertoire i was playing was like you know more standard solo rep instrumental rep um and of course you wear the mask and know that you're communicating slightly less than maybe before um i'll, I'll tell a quick embarrassing story about myself from when i was a student you know this was before i did any theatrical repertoire or really you know had kind of come into my own voice as a as a soloist and knowing what that means but i was playing a piece with electronics it was snare drum and electronics and the piece was like over a minute of intro so just electronic sounds you know i'm not doing anything on stage and i was watching back like my recital um not too long ago and i like i was considering well i come in at like one and a half minutes something like that so i'm like okay i go over to the laptop and i hit play and then i walk back to the snare drum and i'm like adjusting my headphones getting my stuff ready the things that we do like when we're in the back of the orchestra mm -hmm. and you know nobody can you're gonna pick up your bass drum mallet and check the muffling and maybe adjust the foot you know there's so many things that we do that aren't so crucial when we're in orchestra because there's so much else going on. But anyway, I was like, you know, cringing, watching myself like the piece already started this, like the everything is everything that's happening is part of the performance and like, okay, younger me don't don't do that. But um, certainly it, it matters in that regard. Yeah, I was gonna say that um, I think there's a, there's a purist approach in a way. And I think they are frequently trying to prove the impact of their technical or, or musical abilities, uh, sort of in spite of the visual impression that they're leaving and not trying to use the visual impression to enhance it. So in a way, I think these people would probably be really great at Guitar Hero because that's how they approach it. It's like, do you press the right button at the right time so you get 100 out of 100 at the end of the game? But that's not how it is. And I think, Carly, what you said, again, it's a purist approach to think that music is an audio, like sonic experience only. It hasn't been for, again, people who are able to see, you know, um, until 100 years ago when we were able to record music and and just put it, you know, in our car or in our headphones or whatever. If you wanted to hear music, you had to go somewhere and experience it with your other senses as well. So I think that it's just silly to ever think about 
pulling it away from it because I think what you're doing is you're actually depleting the quality of the experience because music is not an experience that goes through your ears. It's an emotional experience, physical experience, visual, all these things. So I don't know if, if you're really good at that stuff, maybe you should switch careers and do Guitar Hero and win those great tournaments and become a millionaire because there might be more money in that than in Marimba, you know? Yeah, esports e is getting pretty popular, I think. I think that's, that's probably why like things like YouTube have become more and more popular as well, as opposed to like the MySpace, like podcasts or audio, obviously technology has advanced massively, but you know, it, it tends to be that those like the YouTube platforms or the video platforms are the more successful, probably like if you look at the, the analytics. So I think like the, as I said, the, 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 the eyes and the ears are like, have got to be better than one surely. Yeah, yeah. if both work, yeah, then use both. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Even you know, you think about social media posts. Like now, I think if you just put a couple sentences, which used to be normal ten years ago, but a couple sentences, it's like nobody's really paying attention. But if you have a video, oh great, even ten seconds, you know, just a little thing that says the same thing that you already wrote, you know, um, something yeah. visual. I, I actually do that now, like with with some emails, like rather than write a long email, I just do a very quick video and send it to people because people are trained to watch videos more than read emails these days, especially if it's long. So I haven't got time to read that, but I might watch a video, you know? That's smart. Well, I've, I have not heard of that one before. I might start doing that with my students. Oh, <laughs> Angry video. <laughs> Go practice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we have a, a, a sort of closing question from our buddy Ben, who said, Hi, Tim, it was nice meeting you several years back at PASIC when Casey snuck me into the fancy breakfast at the Westin. Congrats on all of the success yeah, with the WPG. It has been fascinating seeing the careers of former members. And then in parentheses, it's Cameron Leach, Caleb Pickering, and Concussion, just to name a few. I'll tell you, there's a, there's a sequel to this. Uh, it's been great to see their careers take off. I was wondering if there were any non-musical skills you have noticed as a common thread to these successful young artists. And then I responded and said, hey, Ben, thanks for um, not mentioning me because I'm not a person, you know, I, I'm not an alumni and definitely don't have a career. <laughs> and he said, oh, I'm so sorry. Then just add, and why were these people so much more successful than Xenia other than their obvious musical talent? <laughs> Sounds a bit like Caleb. Sounds like they've been hanging out too much together. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> but anyway, what is this thing? Um, besides yeah, the obvious again, like you guys are nailing it with the questions, like really good. Um, firstly, we didn't pay for that exclusive breakfast. We weren't supposed to be there. I think we gate crashed it, but there we go. I'm not quite <laughs> sure what happened there, but I do remember that. So um, I think it might have been the twins that found the breakfast and we hijacked it. But anyway, um what do they all have in common i think that was the question wasn't it like uh, aside from music mm -hmm. well, i think they're all they're all very passionate about like their lives and 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 uh, like like i say like their careers they're, they're all very driven um and they all want to succeed and they do all have i mean this is kind of going down the music route but they do all have like aspirations of 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 where they want to go and um yeah i i think the the, the passion that they have is, is probably the biggest thing for sure i can't 
the question I would have liked to have that a bit earlier because maybe there's other things that I haven't thought about but I mean you've been in WPG what what do you think I mean that's uh, for me, it's it's a puzzle of how you selected the people based on the materials that you were given. Um, I think, uh, as I said, I think you had a lot of wonderful people who had a vision and you had people who maybe did not have such a clear vision, but certainly had a burning passion to discover it. Like they really needed yeah, to find out true. what's up. Um, yeah. And they were all at a certain stage of, of development. We were all different, but they, I feel like really mo most of us had those, what you said, core qualities somehow figured out in that stage of very, very early young career or just about to graduate, where we were ready to start thinking about these other things. But I felt like, yes, the, just their personalities, there was a confidence about, okay, this is who I am. Yeah. yeah. I thinking about it as well like the combinet they all had this the combination this is the answer the combination of like wanting to embrace the music but the travel aspect and the cultural aspect of like networking with people from different countries and visiting like you can't get that anywhere really so as you rightly said at the beginning it's quite a unique project but i think you know that uh that sort of excitement to experience different it's it's sort of like when I was at school, like, and I left school, everyone wanted to sort of go traveling and experience the world. Well, this facilitates that in a musical way. So it, it sort of brings those two things together. Um, but uh, obviously this one, which I'm currently doing, doesn't. But um, I think that's probably one of the biggest, biggest things that people are interested to do is just learn from like the touring aspect uh, as well and the traveling. Yeah. So, that yeah. is definitely one of the most precious experiences. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. And then I guess to finally close up for real is where do you see uh, the World Percussion Group in five to 10 years since you, you teach that? Now you tell us, what is your answer? Well, that's a very good question. This one, see, I, I'm at the stage of my career now where I just sort of, I tinker like, a, like an old engine, you know, I just sort of replace bits. But um, where do I see? I, I see um hopefully uh, i don't know if it's my my sort of dream would be to uh make make it sort of uh possibly more um more active so rather than every sort of one or two years do it a little bit more but also sort of try and offer the the opportunity to to musicians for for less cost really because travel is is always very expensive and and hopefully like the more um the brand if you like becomes familiar with people and the more positive experiences that our artists can go back to their respective countries and, and sort of portray then hopefully that will in inspire more people to apply and um, we'll, we'll sort of give that structure in place to to offer even more of a, an incentive for people to apply and therefore hopefully enable me to uncover like literally the, the best I suppose the, the ultimate, I've sort of ripped it really, but would be like the X factor for percussion. But obviously, we don't have like the TV and the, the commercial side of it. So, um, you know, no barriers. Like for some people, like, let's be honest, like the, the, the fee of even applying is quite high. So that would be my my ultimate goal would just be like no barriers and, and give the people like real life experience to to go back and 
and uh, have a, a really strong position in, in wherever they go and an experience that they can pass on to other people. That's, that's sort of the dream, but quite a, quite a, a, a hard reality to sort of achieve really, but um, time will tell. Oh well, and I'd it's quite like to do a world tour as well. That would be quite fun. Oh, that's that's a modest ambition. That's like, that's like me saying I want to do a concerto with LA Phil like twenty <laughs> years ago. So, but that would be like the ultimate. It's just to sort of start, maybe start breaking into like the concert hall recitals scene, like internationally and stuff would be quite cool. But again, I'm I'm happy to be led by the artists, what they want to do and. I'm constantly learning from them and um, I want to offer the best experience. So I already see it. Uh, WPG in 50 or 100 years is going to be all teamed up with Richard Branson's brand and it's going to go and offer uh, concerts, you know, in outer space. So and you get to, you know, enjoy the ride also. So. That'd, be, that'd be quite impressive, wouldn't it, to send a Marimba one up on a rocket? There you go. <laughs> The opportunities are endless, yeah. Or any other brand, for that matter, just to put that one out. But yeah, that's, that's, yeah. you might be onto something there. <laughs> big brain, big brain. Well, thank you so much, Tim, for being our, our guest. It was well, a pleasure to chat. Thank you so much for having me as well. It's been great. And nice to meet you, Carly, as well. Sorry, I, I've not met you before, so. Yeah, very nice to meet Tim you. Tim was referring to my wife earlier, who is also Carly, so. <laughs> I you can comment. Have you met Carly, your wife? <laughs> yeah, for anyone who doesn't yeah, know. Two minutes ago. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you, Carly. Thank you, Caleb, for hanging out with us um, today. And we'll see you all on episode 284.